0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. Really good to see all of you here today. Let's uh, go to God in prayer as we ask Him to help us to understand His Word to us today. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we humbly ask You to help us to ponder to reflect and to really think deeply about what the teacher is saying about things under the sun and to therefore give our lives rightly to the things that really matter. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now last week I was reading The Straits Times and uh, there was a very interesting article about this young lady who at a very young age has started up her own company and you know it was all about how when she was young she studied a lot on her own. She started hacking on her own. She started uh, creating all this artificial intelligence. But what really caught my eye was the phrase at the end of this page-long article. It said, I live life. I really live. Now, it reminded me of someone else who used to attend this church and I had dinner with them. And they said to me that they didn't want to come to church anymore because they felt that the world was their oyster and they want to go out and to eat of it and drink of it and they wanted to be really full of this world before they wanted to think about god another person i met uh, overseas told me his lifestyle he said you know my lifestyle is working hard playing hard and partying hard now i think that these are all very similar outlooks in life right basically they want to live life, they want to live life to the full, they want to drink and eat the fill of this world. And I think that if you think about it, there are three things which really constitute the idea of living life to the full. Now, one is experiencing pleasure, right? Parting hard. The other is striving to work, right? Really working hard. And the other one I suppose is gaining wisdom. Just like that girl was learning more and more and filling her mind with all these things. Now, today the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes examines these three very things, experiencing pleasure, striving in work, the gaining of wisdom, and he wants to ask the question, is there meaning in these things? He puts it under the microscope and asks, are they big enough, substantial enough for us to live for? So, it begins in chapter 2, verse one, right? He said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what is good for the people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Now, up here is the uh, older NIV translation, but it captures the same idea as the new NIV translation. But you'll notice that the first thing he does is he wants to test himself with pleasure. That's a very strange word, right? To test yourself with pleasure. Why does he use this particular phrase? I think it's because the previous week last week the last thing that he tested was study wisdom and he didn't test himself with study or gaining a wisdom instead if you look at chapter 3 verse chapter 1 verse 13 he said i devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven so in a sense last week's examination was in the ivory towers academia he was studying in the halls of the library, he was applying himself to explore all that knowledge and wisdom could give him in the lecture halls. So now he said, okay, I can't find meaning in the, in the university, in the academia, in the halls of the university, in the library. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get out of the lecture theater and I'm going to test myself with pleasure. I'm going to experience pleasure, I'm going to live life, right? Enough of this study. I want to get out and live life. So he's going to live a life of hedonism or Epicurean, be an Epicurean, right? So to be a hedonist is to pursue pleasure, to pursue sensual self-indulgence, to make the highest good pleasure, uh, to devote himself to enjoyment derived from physical drink and pleasure. So basically what he's doing is he's getting like the live section of the of the Straits Times, right? Uh, the next slide, right? Okay, you know, every every day you have the live section, right? It's interesting because you know when you look at the live section, it's it's interesting what the the newspaper constitutes. It's life, right? It's exactly what we find here in the book Ecclesiastes. You know, it's about food. Uh, you know, the, the latest restaurants are being reviewed. Which which restaurant got the Michelin stars? Uh, it's about wine. All right, it's about the latest bars, it's about entertainment, it's about the latest play, the latest comedy show, uh, the latest holidays. So that's what he does. So the teacher gets his uh, Jerusalem Times live section. He says, okay, let's try this out. Let's forget about staying in the university. Let's get out and experience life. So the first thing he does with his live section is he turns to the comedy section. Okay, the next slide. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Before he does that, you notice, as he's going through chapter 2, right? He's, he doesn't just give himself mindlessly into pleasure. Right? Because he, he's using his mind, he's still guided by wisdom, to see what is good, what is accomplished, what is there really that you can get under the sun, what is worthwhile under the sun. So, he starts off his life section, and then he looks at the comedy show. What comedies can I go to? What entertainment can I give myself to? So he goes out, he leaves the university, he walks down, he watches a couple of plays, comedies. But after a while, he finds that it is foolish. It's foolish. So here in the the new NIV, it says madness. It's foolish and madness in the sense that it's just an escape from reality. Laughter. If you just do it too much, after a while it becomes a bit meaningless, it's foolish. I don't know about you, I remember when I was working, there were some people in my work where basically every day after work, they'll be talking about what show they were going to watch on television. Right? This was before the age of Netflix, right? You know, like what, what serial they're going to watch. And after a while, it's a bit meaningless, right? It's almost as if you're living life through situational comedy, right? Every night is a different show that you're watching. And that's what fills your life. And that's what the word here, foolish or madness means. It's like, it doesn't mean anything. There's no meaning to, 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 to laughter entertainment. It just fills up your time. But I think that this word madness here, if you actually look at the original Hebrew word, also has connotations of being morally wicked or sinful, it's foolish behavior in terms of being sinful. Now when I was younger, I used to uh, like watching stand-up comedy actually, but one of the problems actually if you do go watch stand-up comedy or even if you watch on TV, you'll notice on Netflix a stand-up comedy, is that a lot of stand-up comedy is vulgar, there's a lot of sexual jokes in it, in fact, if you took out all the sexual jokes, you probably don't have that much material. To work with, right? Because there's not that much more that's funny in this world that people make fun of, right? There's a lot of sexuality in stand up comedy. And that's what the teacher is really saying that it's foolish because a lot of laughter is derived from things which are vulgar and wicked. So I mentioned before that, uh, you know, I really liked uh, The Game of Thrones and I read all the books, right, so far, except, you know, I feel it's very unfair because the author never finished his story. He just started this TV series instead. But you know, the problem with watching Game of Thrones, which I, I stopped watching after season one, right, is because there is so much sexuality and nudity in the Game of Thrones, which is not really addressed in the book. So in the book, you just have one line, right? But in the movie, sorry, in the TV series, you would have nudity all the time and sexuality. So I came across this very funny article about how this Christian guy, because if you've been. Watching the net, right? There have have been people saying, oh, yes, 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 you know, Christians should be watching Game of Thrones because you want to find out the, the plot and everything. And some other Christians say, no, you shouldn't watch it. So this Christian guy said, okay, I'm going to watch it, but I'm not going to watch it for the sexuality. I'm going to cut out all the sexual bits. And he said, yeah, I watched it, but I finished six seasons in 20 minutes, right? And that's how much nudity and sexuality is in the Game of Thrones. But the Game of Thrones is not just attracting people because of its nudity and sexuality, there's a lot of gratuitous violence as well, right? I mean, there's not just sexuality, there's rape. And then there's, there's people getting their throats cut. And you know, it's not like you sort of see it subtly, it's like right in front of your face. Uh, some people say that the Game of Thrones is like uh, the torture porn, right? So I always remember this very good show that I really enjoy called Gladiator. Now, if you watch Gladiator, there's a very, very famous scene, which people remember, which is where uh, the, the hero, right, Maximus, he's a gladiator, and he comes into the arena, and he kills uh, six opponents. right. But instead of glorifying in himself, he says, Are you not being entertained? right? Is that not why you are here? And he spits on the ground. And in a sense, he's sort of rebuking the crowd for their bloodthirst and their entertainment. They, they want to see violence. They want to see people uh, getting killed and dismembered. And I think that's, so sh- that's such a, I guess, indictment of a lot of the entertainment that we watch. That it is foolish because it is wicked and it's vulgar and it's sinful. And that's what the teacher is saying. So then he gives up on the comedy shows, he gives up on entertainment. He says, okay, let's find meaning in wine. right? It says in verse 3, I tried sharing myself with wine. Now, yesterday in the Bible study training, someone said, oh, okay, uh, because of this we should go on and try to have some beer. Because, you know, beer is different from wine. because you know." <laughs> but that's not the point that... The, teacher was trying to make right he's saying let's embrace uh, like you know spirits to make ourselves happy let's go to the pub let's go to the wine club let's go to you know the bistro and uh, have some cocktails or whatever but he found that actually you can't find meaning in alcohol you can't find meaning in intoxication because initially there is that initial buzz right so the media uh, next slide Okay, next one. Right, so tell you that you know this is the, the life, you know, this is what you go and enjoy. And that's how the world perceives it, right? So the next slide, right? They think that you can't have fun without alcohol. But actually, as we will see in many parts of the Bible, alcohol is actually if you embrace it and you live by it. It's actually a foolish lifestyle. Because alcohol, the reality is when you live a life embracing alcohol, it is actually leading to, like say, unwanted sexual activity. Uh, It leads to violence. It leads to family abuse. It leads to a life of regrets. So that's why the teacher says, okay, there's no meaning in embracing wine, and finding meaning to cheer myself, because in the end, it's folly. So then he turns his life section, uh, next slide, to home renovation. But obviously his home renovation is slightly different from our idea of home renovation. right? Because if you look there in chapter 2, it says there in verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, I made reservoirs to water grows of flourishing trees. So, his home renovation is more than just his veranda, but it's more like the Taj Mahal scale of home renovation. Because there is pleasure. You know, like you renovate something, you do a garden, you do your landscaping, you find there's there's pleasure. He gives himself... To not just landscaping, but he also acquires many singers, right? So he gets his Spotify, you know, and he tries to find meaning in music and maybe going to like what we find, like the jazz club, right? You know, some people they like going to the clubs to listen to music. And he even gets his own personal harem, right? So he gives himself over to sex. In fact, in verse 10, he says to, to us, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. When he saw something which he thought would give him pleasure, he gave himself over it to it. I, 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 my heart took delight in on my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. But in the end, verse 11 says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I think it's very true, isn't it? That you can enjoy these things. You can enjoy a glass of wine. You can enjoy a movie. But if you wanted to give meaning your life, then it is empty. There's nothing there. I remember uh, when you reading articles saying, you know, if you think about who should be the happiest people in the world, who would have all these things that we just read about, surely it must be the Hollywood stars. Because that's why people aspire to be Hollywood stars. right? So you can all the women, all the men chasing after you can have all the big houses in Los Angeles, you can have the finest food, the finest wines and the the finest entertainment and the finest comedy shows. But are the Hollywood stars the happiest people and the most fulfilled people living lives of meaning? No. In fact, when you think of Hollywood stars, you think of loneliness, anxiety, unhappiness, sadness. I mean you think of uh, someone like, say, uh, well, actually Michael Jackson's not really a Hollywood star, but he is a very big celebrity. Right? I mean, it was shocking to me how someone like Michael Jackson would be so anxious in life that he would be taking uh, you know, anxiety medicine and sleep medicine as powerful as he was and kill himself. And if you think of someone like uh, Heath Ledger, right? You know, Batman. Again, when he died, it was because of an overdose of too much prescription medicine. Uh, you know, if, you're so, if, if Hollywood is the fulfillment of the life of pleasure, well, obviously, they're not living it, right? Because that's why they need all these psychiatrists and all this medicine and all these things to help them sleep. I remember many years ago, I, cut out, I used to cut out these newspaper things which I used to find interesting. Right, and 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 Pierce Brosnan, who was the old uh, James Bond, and, and Marilyn Monroe, right? they were saying like, you know, like living the life of fame is like eating a meringue cake, right? You know, it's like you know you eat it, but after a while, it doesn't make you full. In fact, it makes you feel ill. Right? So actually, there is no meaning in pleasure. You just ask someone who's retired. Right? I mean when they're retired, they can live the life of pleasure. But are they really fulfilled and happy with life? They're not. So in verse 12, the teacher then turns his thoughts away from pleasure to wisdom. In verse 12 he said, Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes and their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise like the fool will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Now, at the beginning here, he actually uses a, a, a reflection that goes back to what we learned last week, Right, that wisdom is limited. Uh, next slide, Leonard where last week we learned that what is twisted cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. So here, he says the same thing, right? He says, what more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? In a sense, what has already been done by other people, wise people, you cannot do any more. So there's a limit to wisdom. No matter what you apply your wisdom to, there people have already tried it and this is the best that you can achieve. You will never solve the problem of war, poverty, illness, suffering, greed, crime, envy, gossip. These things are just not solvable. You apply your wisdom, there is no solution. But he goes on to say that in a relative sense, it is better to be wise than to be a fool. Because the wise person has eyes to see. He, he, the wise person, he or she can see as if living in the light. So you imagine we have light now, right? So you know, you know how to walk down the middle of the aisle, you don't fall down. But if you turn off all the lights and it's completely dark, then you stumble and you fumble, you fall down and you hurt yourself. Well, he says that's what foolish people do in this world. They can't see, they don't know what's going to happen and then they fall down, they hurt themselves in many different ways. But the problem is, wisdom is relatively better than being a fool, but both will die. And because both die, wisdom in and of itself is meaningless, because both die and both are forgotten. I think of some relatives that I know, where they have uh, several children, and uh, the kids all grow up. And one child is uh, a wise child. You know, it's like you know Chinese New Year, you always get together. And this particular child is a very wise child, the one that everybody likes, everybody you know is proud of. Then you have the black sheep of the family. Every family has a black sheep, right? So there's a black sheep of the family. This person is foolish. This person is lazy. This is the sort of person where every Chinese New Year, people don't want to sit next to this person. They always avoid this person. But in this real story, the, the wise child, the one everybody likes, gets sick of cancer and dies. Whereas the foolish one, somehow bumbling along, lives a long life. Meaningless. Meaningless, right? Well, that's what the teacher says it's meaningless because at the end, death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter whether you're wise or the fool, the death still catches you out and then everything, everybody forgets you anyway. So he says "Look, there's no meaning in wisdom, there's no ultimate meaning in wisdom because death makes foolishness and wisdom all the same. So then he turns his mind then to toil to work. In verse seventeen he says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun is grievous to me, grievous, it hurts me, right? All of it is meaningless a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toil for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get from all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Yeah, I think that as Singaporeans, we can identify with this passage, right? Uh, he begins by saying so he hated life he hated life because of death so death itself affects wisdom and death itself affects work because he says you strive and you work and you toil with anxiety and you build up this great enterprise but then by the time you've actually achieved anything it's time for you to die and then you hand it over to your offspring, who you don't know whether they are wise or they are foolish. Death makes a mockery of all the work that you did, because just when you're striving and just when you do it, you've got to hand it over to someone else. And you never know what they're going to be like. So my father always used to tell me this proverb right which I can't remember Mandarin but someone mentioned it in the Bible study how wealth only lasts three generations how the first generation will work extremely hard the second generation will reap the benefits and then the last generation will squander it all so I remember even for my own family my father came from a family of 16 children see in those days uh, don't need government to ask you to have money to have kids you know so he had 16 children. Actually, I don't know how his, grandma, his mother did it. But anyway, the, they had this company. Uh, actually, I'm Ong. So actually, I'm a Hing Hua. Right? Somebody came and said to me, hey, you, you, you guys must be in this business. I say, yeah, yeah, we are, we are. So, you know, they used to deal with motor spare parts. So, you know, there's motor spare parts. And the company was in KL, in Ipoh, in Ramban, in Singapore, all over the place lah. So the first generation built up this big company. And then the children all came together. And then the grandchildren uh, were there. Right? Of which I'm that generation. The third generation that's gone this all. But anyway, I wasn't involved in the company. But one of the grandchildren actually set up a rival company and siphoned up the money and the business. And then destroyed the company. It was so bad that actually the, the, the family was split and uh, they just never spoke to one another again and that it just destroyed everything. Now, in a sense, that's true, isn't it? Because you labor and strive, but the subsequent generations, what do they do? Are they wise or are they foolish? Even for the author of Ecclesiastes, who is supposed to be Solomon, he experienced this, right? Because Solomon's son was Rehoboam. And after Solomon had died, Rehoboam was put in charge as the eldest son. But Rehoboam was a fool. He listened to his uh, young, advi- young friends, so to speak, instead of the wise older advisors. Right? And in the end, out of the 12 tribes, right? if you look at the map, Right so these are twelve tribes of Israel. All of the twelve tribes in yen, next slide, only the two tribes, Judah and Simeon, followed solomon 's son. So you imagine the great kingdom of Israel, right the twelve tribes Solomon before him, David, his father, built up this great kingdom, and together in one you know very short period, his son basically destroyed and uh, broke apart his kingdom. It's meaningless. Even in Singapore, you, you know, there are lots of uh, newspaper articles. You can see like, you know, uh, there's all these family feuds, you know, a lot of family companies in Singapore, a lot of family feuds, like Yo Hyup Singh, uh, Tong Gardens, everything. Uh, even recently, you know about the, the Korean air, the nut rage and the water rage, right? So, I mean, here you have this uh, CEO, the Korean father, who, you know, CEO of Korean Air. And then you have these two daughters who sound like very temperamental people, who, like, you know, basically get the plane to turn around because she got peanuts served in a packet instead of a plate. Then you have another daughter throwing water bottle at people. It's like, what sort of children? I mean, the children are basically destroying all the hard work the father makes, right? But that's not the only reason why work is meaningless because he goes on to say that work itself is so tiring. Right. So in verse 22, 21 to 22, uh, he, sorry, 22, he says, What do people get from all the toil and the anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Now, I think what he's trying to get at here is to go against this idea that actually work itself is really fulfilling and is really fun. Right? Uh, I know that we live in an age where you know, like people like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or even Richard Branson will talk about how life is so great because my work is the most fun thing I do. But actually, for the reality for most normal working people, is actually work is very, very tiring, and very wearisome, and filled with anxiety. It's almost as if, like he's saying, you work during the day, you're, 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 the day is filled with grief and pain, and at night, your mind is full of anxiety. Right, So it's like, there is nothing in life. Like you, uh, during the day you're, you're striving, grief and pain. And at night you're worried and anxious. He said, "How can, you, how can work be meaningful like that?" Right? I mean, it's true. Right? I mean, people um, buy these really expensive bits. I bought a bit last year. Right? You know like the bits can cost like 10,000 dollars. But you know, you can buy this $10,000 bit, but you still can't go to sleep? You know? Because your mind is so worried about your work. I remember when I was working as an accountant, right? I remember one night, I was just about to get to sleep. Then all of a sudden, I woke up, you know, at about 11, I said, hey, you know, I finished the report today, but did I press the send button on the mail, right? So then I was lying there, I couldn't sleep for about half an hour. I thought, okay, I need to drive back to the office. I went to the office, I used my key card, I was the only one there by that time, checked my mail, Make sure. Then I went home to sleep again. You know, it's like like your your, your mind is always thinking about work, right? It's like, you know, what have you done? What haven't you done? Uh, And then you go to work and you're striving. So, there is no meaning uh, in work. You cannot find meaning in work that way. So, it's all very bleak by this time. I mean, there's no meaning in pleasure. There's no meaning in wisdom. There's no meaning in work. But we see a ray of sunshine in verse 24 to 26. He says that a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without Him who can eat and find enjoyment? To the person who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner who gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth, to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now if you look at this passage, it's like a ray of sunshine in a dark day. Right? Now why is it so different in mood and tone from everything so far that the teacher has taught? The reason is because suddenly God comes into the picture. So before this, the The teacher was saying, what is there that I can find under the sun, which gives me meaning? And it's all bleak, it's all dark, it's all depressing. But suddenly something from outside under the sun comes in, and that's God. And when God comes into the picture, He says, God gives you these things so that you can find satisfaction, you can drink and eat and enjoy it. What he's trying to say here is that when you try to give meaning to these created things, food, laughter, pleasure, work, wisdom, they break, they can't hold the weight of meaning. Only God can hold the weight of meaning in this world. So instead of looking to all these created things for meaning, just enjoy them. Enjoy them for what God gives you in them. Enjoy them for themselves. Enjoy the tender taste of the chasu when you eat your one-time meat, right? Enjoy the, 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 the taste of the wine when you, when you drink it, its richness. Right? Because that is all it is. It is never intended for more. Because meaning is found in God which then allows you to enjoy the things of this world for the created things that they are. You were never meant or intended to give meaning to these created things. Meaning can only be found when God is at the center of your life, then all these other peripheral things can be enjoyed. But he goes on to say something very radical, right? Because actually he could have just stopped at verse 24 and said, okay, because God gave all these things, eat, drink and be happy, right? By verse 26, he says, To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless at chasing after the wind. Now, this is a very shocking verse because what he's saying is, when you, when you please God, God gives you happiness and knowledge and wisdom. When you strive for these things, you don't get it. But when you strive to please God, that's when you receive it. You know, it's a paradox because if I say to you, strive to be happy, you find it very hard to be happy. Strive to be content, you find it very hard to be content. But what it's saying here, if you strive to please God and to know God, then happiness, contentment, knowledge and wisdom then come to you. Because it is actually in the knowing of God that that these real benefits come and accrue to you. But what is actually more shocking is the paradox, right? Because the sinner is the one toiling and gathering and striving. But in the end, the sinner, the one who displeases God, actually doesn't get to keep the very things that they're striving and toiling for. And that's why it's meaningless, because if you, if you strive and toil for these very things, you actually lose these things. It is a meaningless way of living. But if you strive to please God, then you actually receive all these things as well. Now we understand this better in the light of Jesus and we read this for the responsive reading right? because Jesus actually says that you are not meant to store up treasure on earth right? where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, as we see in the person of Jesus, in the reality of God coming into His world on Jesus, pleasing God, following Jesus, knowing Jesus, seeking after the kingdom of god actually gets you all these other things as well but striving after the very created things and trying to achieve contentment fulfillment and meaning through them you actually cannot find it and in fact you will lose it all and that is the true futile meaningless chasing after the wind way of living so in conclusion Someone wrote that actually, the the advertising department of the things of this world, pleasure, work, wisdom, are much more effective than the manufacturing department. Because the advertising is that live life, you know, your law, you only live once, live life to the full, right? The, the world is your oyster. Drink of it, eat of it, right? Work hard, play hard. And the advertising goes that this is what life is all about. But the world cannot deliver that. In the end, you will not find meaning through it. It is just chasing after the wind. But instead, in the pleasing of God, in the knowing of Jesus, that is where meaning is found and that then allows you to derive satisfaction, enjoyment, uh, to derive pleasure from the things that God has given you. And on top of that, God says that all these other things will be given to you as well. So don't live the meaningless life of chasing after what this world advertises but cannot deliver, but instead know God and please God through Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that the words of Ecclesiastes will make us wise to see uh, that pleasure is meaningless, it's foolish many times. The gaining of wisdom is cut short by death. Work itself is toil, hard labor, anxious, striving, where we cannot rest even at night. Dear Father, if we give ourselves over to any of these created things, we are only setting ourselves up to be disappointed. But dear Father, help us to see that meaning can only be found outside of this world through you, through the Creator Himself. And we know that to be true by the coming of Jesus Christ. That if we know you through Jesus, if we please you through Jesus, only there will we be able to enjoy the things of this world. Only there will we be able to inherit the very world itself and to know true contentment and true fulfillment. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.